offer prayer briefly before we start. Father God, we pray that your spirit would be among us now and that you would guide us in studying your word. Lord, let us do it in a sense of worship. Lord, that we would lift up your name and praise you through the study of your word today. In Jesus' name, amen. Last week, we celebrated the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Today, we're going to look at what that resurrection gives us. That is new life. Last year, I preached a series that went through the life of Paul and his conversion and then his ministry afterwards and his his missions. And if you were here for one of the first messages on that series, you might remember the illustration that I used when I compared the Apostle Paul to a toy car. The the Apostle Paul is like one of those uh, cars in which you, uh, when you were small, you would run that car on the ground several times and it would spool up. It was inertia-driven and you would turn it loose and it would take off. Now, maybe you had one of those when you were small. I know Flint has several. And, um, you, you, you know, maybe you need the sound. It goes, you know, and it is, just, you know, taking off like crazy. And then you turn it loose and it's like, leaving black marks on the kitchen floor. That's the kind of conversion that Paul had. When God got a hold of Paul, he was full throttle going the opposite direction of God. He was spooled up. And God turned him around and set him back down and he was full force towards God. That was the Apostle Paul. There's the other kind of person. Maybe you're in this class. It's like the pullback toy car. Put it on the ground and you go... And you turn him loose and it's like... So very fun, those kind are. They take a little bit longer to spool up. Uh, This is the kind of person that uh, you slowly get to know God, you know, and you begin to walk with Jesus and... You don't uh, put your faith in him all at once, but through that steady and slow growing of a relationship, there comes a point to where you are ready to go. You are solid, and you start living your life. Um, You start going faster and faster and build up momentum. So there are those of us that are like that. Now, um, there's one more class of person, I think, that I need to add to that today. And this kind of car... Um, maybe some of you older folks didn't see this kind because battery-operated, and I don't know how long ago battery-operated toy cars came out, but if you've ever seen this kind of car, this is the kind where you turn it on, and it goes, and then all of a sudden it'll stop and turn and go another way, and it'll turn and go another way, and you have no idea where that car is going. Maybe it bounces up against the wall. Um, it's crazy. It's unpredictable, and it, it's fun to watch, but it's not accomplishing anything going everywhere and in no place particularly fast. It's just uh, spinning around. This third kind of car, this crazy car, is what we are going to classify Peter as. The disciple, the apostle Peter. Man, he's got so much emotion going on that he doesn't know which direction to go. He knows what direction he wants to go, but he just has a hard time figuring out how to get 
going in that direction. Peter plays a big part in uh, the life of the first Christians after the resurrection. He is emotional. He's up and down. Man, he's ready to make decisions, but half the time he does make these decisions, he's wrong. Can anyone here relate to Simon Peter? I know I can, probably most days out of the week. Now, let's not be confused. Peter is 100% for Jesus. We can read through the stories of Peter and his interaction. Um, They start when uh, Jesus asks the, the people there, who do you say I am? Peter answers, first and foremost, he knows. You are the Messiah, the Son of the living God, Peter says. Jesus says, blessed are you, Peter. I will call you rock. My church will be built upon your leadership. And then, just a little bit later, just a little bit later, uh, Jesus is telling Peter what's going to happen and how it's going to play out. Uh, Peter, I'm going to give my life and be killed, but on the third day I'll be raised again. And Peter says, in an emotional outburst, No, Lord, never will that happen to you. Jesus turns to Peter and says, Get away from me, Satan. You are a dangerous trap to me. You're seeing things from a human point of view and not from a godly point of view. Oh, the emotion that must have been present in Peter's, in his soul to have this interaction with Jesus, 100% for Jesus. And then Jesus says, no, you're, you're going the wrong way. You need to turn, go back this other way. Ah, right after the Lord's Supper, the Last Supper that we, we celebrated on a Good Friday, Jesus predicts Peter's denial. Maybe this should have been a clue for Peter. Jesus telling him and predicting him. Maybe it could have helped him guard against it, but God's ways are his ways. In Mark chapter 14, Peter said to him, uh, to Jesus, uh, even if everyone else deserts you, I never will. And Jesus says, by the third time, the rooster crows. (laughs) No, Peter declared empathetically, even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. Oh, Peter is 100% for Jesus. He probably even feels like he knows exactly what he needs to do to help Jesus. He is ready to act on his emotions, but they always seem to get the best of him. It's usually a bad idea to follow your emotions, by the way. Emotions can mislead us, can guide us into a mud puddle in in which we would get stuck, run us into a brick wall. Our emotions are not usually a good thing to follow. Every bit of wise counsel that I've gotten from some of the older folks in my life when I go to them to ask, you know, how should I react to this situation? 
first thing I usually hear is, well, don't get excited about it. Just take a step back, take a breath, and look at the situation clearly. And then uh, pray about it, see what God would have you do. Not to get excited. Don't get excited about it. Peter is excited to get excited. Now, right after Jesus told Peter that he would deny him, uh, Jesus took Peter and the others to the garden of Gethsemane. And he asked his, his disciples to stay awake and keep watch while Jesus prayed. Peter's emotions must have worn him out because he fell asleep. The others fell asleep as well. Jesus asked them specifically to stay awake. Uh, But the first one that Jesus addressed is Peter. Matthew chapter 26, verse 40. He said to Peter, Couldn't you watch with me even one hour? All the others, they were probably really tired at this point too. But I'm going to pin this one on Peter. Because Jesus speaks to him first. And Jesus earlier called him a rock. It seems like Jesus is looking to Peter as a leader. When your leader falls asleep, you think, well, maybe it's okay for me to fall asleep as well. Remember, Peter was 100% for Jesus, and now he's sleeping on the job. Next thing we know, Judas has done the old dastardly deed and pointed Jesus out to the Roman soldiers, and Peter's emotions flare up in an instant, and he's all of a sudden 100% for Jesus again, except he's going about it the wrong way. He's been there and done this before just in a different way John chapter 18 verse 10 then Simon Peter drew a sword and slashed off the right ear of Malchus the high priest's slave I I get it we can relate to Peter right now you love someone you respect them you want to protect them to do whatever it takes, and to uh, step up when the time comes and when you are needed. But in this situation, the other disciples are still somewhat uh, in control of their emotions. Well, they recognize that their Messiah is still able to give commands, that Jesus is, is still talking, and he's still there with them, And they look to him for instruction. Luke chapter 22, verse 49. When the other disciples saw what was about to happen, this is the same situation when Jesus is being arrested. The soldiers are there. And they, when they see what's about to happen, they exclaimed, Lord, should we fight? We have brought our swords. They're asking. And then one of them struck the high at the high priest's slave, slashing off his right ear. There's Peter right there. The other guys are asking, hey, Jesus, what should we do? And Peter's like, 
Don't wait for Jesus. Just go ahead and do what I feel like needs to be done. Emotion. Extreme. Oh, you got to love it. We play it out in our lives, right? If it's yelling at our kids or uh, whatever it is, getting angry at the boss, it comes up in us. Oh, Peter. Peter. The other guys, the, the other disciples, they're thinking, this guy, he's, he's so on fire. But he's always got the safety off and the trigger halfway squeezed. The muzzle's probably pointed in the wrong direction. Peter, love is fire, but how do you follow a guy like that? Then Jesus told Peter, after he pulled his sword out and used it, Jesus said, put your sword back in its sheath. Man, I could ask my father for a thousand angels to protect us and he would send them instantly. But if I did, Jesus says, how would the scriptures be fulfilled that describe what must happen now? And then he touched the man's ear and he he healed him. The next morning, as you can imagine, Peter's emotions have bottomed out. They are weighing him down. He is in the gutter, in the ditch, an ultimate low right here. And a servant girl comes over to Peter. Hey, you're one of those guys that was with Jesus. Peter says, I don't know what you're talking about. At this ultimate low, Peter's not sure what's happening inside of him. He's not sure what he's seen. He just knows that he can't do the right thing. And he keeps turning and turning and turning and doesn't know what to do with his emotions. He says, I don't know what you're talking about. And then someone else came. Hey, that man was with Jesus. Peter says, I don't know that man. And then, once again, some come say, you must be one of them. We can tell by your Galilean accent. Peter says, I don't know him. Then the rooster crowed. The rooster crowed and Peter broke down and wept bitterly. He couldn't save his Savior from being arrested. And now, what can he do? Emotion. Emotion is thick. It's like, it's like a brain fog here for Peter. I've used that term before, and I'm sure I'm not the only one who has brain fog. It's this thing that gets in your head and when uh, the situation there's there's too much going on and stress and emotions you, you just can't see well it's blocked out all rationality peter probably feels absolutely worthless and completely hopeless and he's weeping the bitter weeping that's happening to peter now by the way is not one of Peter's emotional decisions. He didn't decide to do that. No, it's a God-given physical reaction to relieve emotional pressure. Those of you who know what it is to weep, you know exactly what I'm talking about. 
And those of you who uh, don't, for the rest of you, <clears throat> men, typically, right? Not always. Uh, you know how you have tanks that are under pressure. Uh, say, your hot water heater. Your hot water heater. That has a high-pressure relief valve. If things go south and it builds up too much pressure, that relief valve is going to uh, open up and it's going to squirt hot water and steam all over. And it's not pretty, but at least the hot water tank doesn't blow up. Your air compressor is the same way. If the uh, electric switch that says it's uh, up to 100 PSI, uh, if that doesn't work and the pump keeps going and pumps your uh, bottle up to a certain amount, the high-pressure release valve will open up and it'll uh, let off all that pressure so it doesn't blow up and kill somebody. That's how it works. I want to make a point here. Uh, Who's the manliest man in history, that you can think of? Well, you could give the Sunday school answer. Jesus, right? Jesus is the manliest man. Well, John chapter 11, verse 35, he wept. That's Jesus. Oh, how about the toughest warrior that you can think of in history? It's got to be David, right? Saul's killed his thousands. David, his ten thousands. This warrior, yeah, First Samuel chapter 30, verse 4, he wept. So David and his men wept aloud until they had no strength left to weep. And this is when their women and children in the village were, were stolen, were taken away by the enemy. And David is there with others weeping. How about the manliest man that you know in your life right now? There you go, there you go. How about here in this room? Maybe maybe somebody like Danny. Bob Deal, yeah, Danny. These guys, manly men. I, I, I know. Last year when the uh, Nebraska Cornhuskers lost, I'm pretty sure Danny was weeping. These guys are manly men, and yet there's weeping. This weeping that Peter is doing right here was desperately needed. If it didn't happen, he probably would have blown up and killed someone. I mean, he pert near killed the, the high priest's slave. He was intending to, but got an ear. It cleared out his mind for what was about to happen next. In this situation, it was Jesus' resurrection. Jesus coming back to life. And the resurrection of Jesus would then channel Peter's emotions. It didn't decrease his emotions. It channeled them. and was able to focus them in one direction. The words that we are going to study this next few weeks are Peter's channeled emotion. Scripture that we're going to study today um, is out of First Peter, and that's, that's a letter, but that, those aren't the first post-resurrection words we read in our scriptures from Peter. Those will be, um, those will be in Acts chapter 1 and 2, but we're going to focus on those on Ascension Day and 
the day of Pentecost, which will be May 26th and June 5th. So we're going to study 1 Peter uh, chapter 1, uh, verse 1, which says, Peter is writing to the followers of Jesus. Um, actually, it says, uh, This letter is from Peter, an apostle of Jesus Christ. I'm writing to God's chosen people who are living as foreigners in the provinces, provinces of Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, and Bithynia. God the Father knew you and chose you long ago, and his Spirit has made you holy. As a result, you have obeyed him and have cleansed, have been cleansed by the blood of Jesus Christ. May God give you more and more grace and peace. So uh, Peter is writing to the followers of Jesus in these places. They're being persecuted. And he wants to encourage them. When they receive this letter, it's going to be powerful because it's from Peter who was personally with Jesus and witnessed the events that they believe in now. It's a big deal that Peter and that Paul and that that John and the others wrote letters to these first Christians that were not present during Jesus' crucifixion and resurrection. It's a big deal. Think about it this way. Uh, maybe uh, as a young lady, when you had your first child, it was helpful for your mother or maybe another mother who's had babies before to um, talk with you and to comfort you through that situation. It meant a lot. Maybe it wouldn't have meant so much if uh, your friend who had never had a baby was there. You know, It's good to have them for support, but the, uh, the, the maturity and the wisdom and the, the knowledge from someone who's been there and done that and seen it, that, that's pretty powerful. If you're a soldier at war, at battle, and someone comes up to you like a civilian and says, man, you're, you're doing a good job. Keep it up. That's good. But if a veteran or your superior, your uh, colonel or your commander comes up to you and says, hey, you're doing a good job. Uh, it's tough, but hang in there. That's going to mean a lot to you. They've been there and done that. And so uh, Peter was there with Jesus, and he's writing this to these people with emotion, and it's encouraging to them. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3. All praise to God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. It is by His great mercy that we have been born again, because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead, Now we live with great expectation and we have a priceless inheritance, an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And through your faith, God is protecting you by his power until you receive this salvation which is ready to be revealed on the last day for all to see. So be truly glad there is a wonder there's wonderful joy ahead even though you must endure many trials for a little while. Peter starts this part with saying all praise to God. 
with all emotion behind Peter, all praise to God. The first note that Peter strikes is one of praise. Basically what he's saying here is let's just start this off in the right direction. Remember Peter is a little toy car. He's like, let's get it straight. One direction, all praise goes to God. All praise to the life-giving, death-defying, all-powerful and merciful God. Peter wants us to know that. If you believe and follow Jesus, you almost assuredly will face really difficult things in this life. But but the God who raises the dead is your God, and He is with you. God has given you a new, a true, and a full life through His Son, Jesus. And the life he gives is filled with an unconquerable, unquenchable hope. And Peter, with emotion, is here to tell you this. Listen, folks, hope can be a very dangerous thing. It can. Your greatest wounds in life probably are tied to a hope that you had in a person. Someone let you down. Or didn't live up to the person that you thought they were. Unfortunately, this kind of worldly hope we often have makes it hard for us to have an unwavering and active hope in the new life that we have in Jesus. By the time we've graduated high school, we've probably already been let down by friends, by siblings, by parents by ourselves that tends to make our hope half-hearted at best half-hearted hope but on the subject that Peter is telling us about here in this letter half-hearted hope will not do Peter's had plenty of things fail in his life plenty of things man He was a fisherman. Any of you guys that are fishermen, you know that some days you just can't catch one. Or you can't catch very many. Unless you're Joseph, he catches them all the time. But the normal person, like Peter, uh, it was his occupation. And probably there were days when he could not make it as a fisherman. His occupation, what he did for a living, what he was supposed to be an expert in, I'll bet failed him. Sometimes we put all of our energy into our occupation, into our job, because we feel like, well, this is what our job is, to, to go and make money and bring it home and take care of our families. And yeah, yeah, that's good. God's calling you to do that. But that's not the source of your identity. That will fail you. Peter had friends fail him. Probably that he had hope in. Think about Judas. These 12 guys that were following Jesus uh, together, the, the closest of buddies, they were following uh, someone whom nobody else was believing in at that time. 
they were winning new people, but it was awful hard. He was making some pretty high claims, but they had this group together, and all of them put their faith in Jesus, and then Judas failed them. Our friends are going to fail us. Now, it doesn't mean that they shouldn't be our friends. Absolutely doesn't mean that. It means that that we need to understand the difference between the hope that we use every day as a word, putting them in things like occupation and friend, is not the same hope as we're, we're, we are going to apply to God. What about his self? Peter says to Jesus, I'll never deny you. And he failed himself. Man, he's got to be so ready for a new life. Peter does. The way it's working out, it's just not working out. He did get a new life, Peter did. After the resurrection of Jesus, and after uh, that took place, he was able to straighten out. And that's what he's writing about, the new life. He's been through it. And here's what he says to that kind of hope the kind of hope that we place in worldly things and, and friends and everything, it's not the same. He says, First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, that to live with great expectation. This is the hope that he's talking about. Live with great expectation. The New International Version says, living hope. It's not just your hope, I hope it doesn't rain today. It's a hope that is living with great expectation. We know that it's going to happen. The resurrection of us because of Jesus' resurrection. New life. Now the only thing that you can have 100% hope in is God. We can't even trust ourselves, but that's okay. Praise God, because it is by God's great mercy, verse 1, by God's great mercy that we are born again. It's not something we do to get new birth. It's something that He does. You know, we've got to know exactly what to have hope in and what to live with great expectation for. New life. New life. So what is this new life? Well, the Jewish folk, the Jewish believers, they understood new life in three different parts, all together in one. First Peter chapter 1, verse 3, uh, Now we live with great expectation. This is the daily assurance that we have through Jesus' resurrection. That he is truly the Messiah, the Son of God, so we can live right now with that hope today. Now there are those of us who need to feel the peace right now. That something's going to happen in the future is good, but it just doesn't cut it for us. We need that peace right now. That's what this is for us. This part of new life that we get every day is now we live with great expectation. We can live every day. Hey, how do you know that you're physically born? How do you know that? I mean, you could hunt up your birth certificate. 
Say, hey, I, got, I got proof. This is how I know that I'm, I've been physically born. Uh, you could talk to your mama. She was there, an eyewitness. She could tell you, uh, yeah, this is how you know you're born, because, and explain it. But that's not what you're going to tell me if I ask you how you know you were physically born. You're going to say, I'm alive. Obviously, look. I must have been physically born because I'm here right now. I am alive. So, how do we know if we are spiritually born again? I've witnessed people accepting salvation through Christ and I've baptized them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I can tell them that they have new life, but it doesn't really mean much me telling them it doesn't do the feeling that they have of new life justice john chapter 3 jesus is speaking with nicodemus he told nicodemus um, unless you are born again you cannot see the kingdom of god what do you mean nicodemus says how can an old man go back into his mother's womb and be born again He's thinking physically. Jesus replied, I assure you, no one can enter the kingdom of God without being born of water and spirit. Humans can reproduce only human life, but the Holy Spirit gives birth to spiritual life. It's a spiritual thing. Jesus says, by the Spirit. How do you know you were spiritually born again? Some people might say, I have a living faith. Or maybe they might say, I once had no spiritual life, and now I'm alive spiritually. Uh, Some might say that they know they've been born again spiritually because of the way they react to things now differently than they used to react. There's a lot of variation I'm guessing, into how you know you're spiritually uh, reborn. But it's all about you being spiritually alive. You being able to feel the spirit change in you. Now we live. The second part of uh, the way to understand new life is inheritance. First uh, Peter chapter 1, verses 3 and 4. Um, tells us uh, that we have an inheritance that is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled beyond the reach of change and decay. Matthew chapter 25, verse 34, concerning this inheritance, says, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the creation of the world. It was planned all the way back from the beginning. It's been planned. You can't inherit something unless you are born. If you aren't born uh, to physical life, you won't inherit anything from your grandparents or, or whoever. You have to be born. Oh, and God, by the way, is not reluctant to give you this inheritance. Luke chapter 12, verse 32 So don't be afraid, little flock, for it gives your father great happiness to give you the kingdom. Great happiness. So grateful for that uh, we should be. 
God is excited to give it to us. Back to 1 Peter chapter 1, verses, verses 4 and 5, said the, says that this, uh, this inheritance is kept in heaven for you, pure and undefiled, beyond the reach of change and decay. And, and through your faith, God is protecting you by his power. This inheritance is locked in. I remember when I was in college um, and at, the, at Pitt State, and uh, I just, I did not like computers, and I always had problems with them. And I would have a, a uh, like a 25-page sociology paper due the next day, and it would be midnight, and I was on page 5 um, on my computer, and then something would go wrong, and I would lose all those five pages, because I didn't save it, and the power went out or one of my buddies kicked the power cord I have no idea it always happened and you lose all the momentum there and you you lose I still don't trust uh, computers because I placed hope in them at one time and they failed me and now I don't have any hope in computers anymore Um, this is not what we are talking about God keeps it and protects it our inheritance where it is guaranteed 100% uh, safe. Have you ever went to a motel out of town? You made reservations beforehand, and you get there and like, sorry, sir, your your name is not on the list. No room in the inn. <laughs> That's a bummer, right? You have something uh, planned there, and it's you get there and it's not there. It's not going to be that way when we get to heaven, folks. You put your faith in Jesus. You have new life. Then this inheritance is guaranteed there. And it'll still be good. It's not going to degrade like our worldly uh, assets are going to. Matthew chapter 6 verse 19 says, Don't store up treasures here on earth where moths eat them and rust destroys them and where thieves break in and steal. Store your treasures in heaven where moths and rust cannot destroy, and thieves do not break in and steal. Wherever your treasure is, there the desires of your heart will also be. If you are spiritually born again, you have an inheritance that is guaranteed. This is the kingdom of God, our new life. The third part of new life that we must understand is the future salvation on the last day. First Peter chapter 1, verse 5. Until you receive this salvation which is ready for you to be revealed on the last day. We Christians talk a lot about being saved. It's an easy word to use. Have you been saved? Or, man, when I got saved, and that's okay, uh, but we don't talk much about what we're saved from. Hell. I get it. No one wants to talk about hell. I don't want to talk about it. But hey, we can cling to our old life without Jesus, without new spiritual life through God's mercy, and we can face eternal, unquenchable fire. Or... Or we can be born again of spirit 
and be saved on the final day. And that calls for some emotion. I don't know how you express your emotion. I don't know how it comes out of you, but if there's ever a reason for it, then this is it right here. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse 6 says, So truly, be truly glad that there is a wonderful joy ahead, even though you must endure many trials for a little while. The many trials, enduring them, we all know, we all relate. But can we all relate to being truly glad? Having wonderful joy because of what is ahead? Our future salvation on the last day? This is how Peter is saying. He knows what emotion is and he says place it in this. Be truly glad that you are saved. That when the world comes to an end and and there's uh, a lot of people facing fire and and the judgment and damnation that you don't have to face that. Oh, and by the way, uh, you have what it takes to, to tell others and to pull them from that fire, pull them from going to that fire so that they don't have to go to hell. We have the future to look forward to. Man, we've got trials to endure, but we can endure those because of the future that we can look forward to. So last thing, I want to review all of this. All of this... Uh, these few verses, these six verses that Peter tells us about here. First, he worships. All praise to God. All of it goes to God. Whatever you do, be praising God when you do it. He says, it's only by God's mercy that we have new life. We can't do it. But God has mercy on us. Therefore, we can have new life. We can be born again because God raised Jesus Christ from the dead. It all hinges on that point that we know to be true. The resurrection of Jesus Christ. The impossible miracle that is only possible with God. And there is this inheritance. This inheritance that we can have great expectation and that we can now live a life in hope of the future salvation which we can have now and we can work out and we can look forward to in the end and finally again Peter says to be truly glad because there is a wonderful joy ahead wonderful joy new life folks if you don't have new life, if, if you have any questions about it, man, this is the time to discuss it right now, today. Don't wait until it's too late. Putting your trust in Jesus, having that new life is, is such a, a simple thing to do. It's the spiritual rebirth. Uh, Paul says in Romans that if you confess with your mouth uh, that Jesus Christ is the Lord, the Son of the living God, then you can be saved. Now, if you haven't done that, I I want you to just pray with me now. Father God, I trust you. Father God, 
I want you to forgive me, Lord, please. And Lord, I ask that you would come to me and give me new life, Lord Jesus. Lord, I thank you so much for Peter, showing us Peter. Peter's not perfect, God. We see Peter's emotion going every which way. Lord, sometimes we are like that. We just go all different ways. We don't know what to do if we're coming or going. God, I thank you so much that you have mercy on us even though our emotions control us. Lord, help us focus our emotions on you to give you the glory and you the praise. We accept you and the new life.